Welcome to the Dimensions book series by K. Arwen. An extraordinary tale of an inner journey and a battle of good against evil. In this podcast, the heroine Kaya tells her own story from book one, The Awakening. Our journey begins on the Scottish Isle of Skye. Parallel realities interconnect and interweave. Step in and enter Dimensions. I pull the car, the van onto the drive, and I notice a odd parcel by the front door. It's kind of weird. I haven't ordered anything. I let the dogs out of the van, and they run up to the box, the box, and sniff it. Hmm. I open the door of the house and lift the box into the hall. It's really heavy, and the dogs suddenly behave really oddly. The ginger one whines and runs into the kitchen and sits under the table, while the black and dog, the black and white dog, takes it upon herself to take sentry duty over the box. She's sitting on the spot with a Paddington death stare on her face, growling. <laughs> Very scary, I say. The question is, what is it? I'm not really sure. I want to open the parcel. Kind of perturbed by the dog's reactions. I mean. Animals are pretty perceptive, after all, right? It can't be good. I go into the kitchen and fetch the scissors from the kitchen drawer. Well, I guess I better open it and see what's inside. I cautiously cut the parcel tape and open the cardboard, and inside there's what looks like another box. Only this one is made of some sort of green metal. I'm about to touch it when something in inside me, my intuition, screams at me to leave it alone, and I stand away and actually move to the other side of the room, considering what to do. How can one innocent-looking box feel so sinister? Still, there's enough been going on recently for me to trust my gut feelings. I've got to get rid of the parcel. The thing is, where am I going to take it? I feel it's got to be somewhere outside and well away from the house, but where? Hmm. I consider, and decide I'll take it to the recycling centre. Seems as good a place as any. You better stay here, girls. I say to the dogs as I put on my boots and pick up my van keys. I don't want you two anywhere near this thing. I open the van and then, coming back to the house, pick up the box. And as I do, I'm aware of a slight humming sound, as though something inside has been activated. I don't like this at all. 
but I put the box in the back of the van and despite my apprehension, the drive to the recycling centre at the north of the island proves to be uneventful. I drive, drive down the entranceway and pull up in the lay-by at the site office. What have you got? says the foreman, eyeing up my van as though it's rammed full of household waste. Not much, I say, trying to keep a smile on my face. An electrical item. Skip on the left then, the man says. I drive the van to the container and open up the back. And I'm shocked to discover that the green cuboid thing inside the box has appeared to expand. And the cardboard box has started to split. Also, the humming sound is more intense. My instincts are still telling me not to touch the green metal. And so I pull on the cardboard, dragging the box towards me. And then I try and lift it. What? The difference in weight is doubled, if not tripled, since when I put it in the van. I take a deep breath and try again. There's a clatter as the green cuboid falls through the bottom of the box and hits the tarmac. And I stand and look at it in bewilderment. <laughs> it's as though the cuboid has somehow deliberately broken the box. As though it's got an energy inside that's, well, kind of alive. Need some help, the foreman says as he walks across to where I'm standing. No, it's okay. It's just heavier than I thought. I can manage. It's just fallen through the box I was carrying it in. No bother, I'll lift it, comes a reply. No, 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 it's okay. But it's too late. The man has stooped down and placing his arms along the side of the box, he tries to lift it. And what happens next happens so quickly... I hardly have time to think, let alone do anything. The man appears to shudder, as though being electrified by a surge of energy. And he cries out in shock as four metal-like tubes appear from the side of the box, each with a red-looking probe at the end, and these rise towards the man and attach themselves to his head. The man's eyes widen and then blank, and he falls to the floor unconscious. The metal arms pulse for a while and then shrink back into the cuboid and it returns to its original size. And the humming noise also stops. I look in horror at the man. Thankfully, he's still breathing. I walk across to an adjacent skip and pull a length of discarded rope from among the rubbish. And then, carefully tying it around the cuboid, I drag it up the metal steps to the top of the skip where I use an old broom handle to lever it into the skip itself. Good riddance, I say, as I throw some of the other electrical items over the top to obscure it from view. And back down on the tarmac, the foreman has started to come round. How are you feeling? I ask. The man looks vacant, as though I'm not here. Must have fallen over, he mutters. And then he catches sight of me. What's your problem? He snaps. Just you clear off. His eyes flash with anger. I was only asking if you were okay. Why wouldn't I be? Just clear off. I pause for a moment and getting into the van, I just drive away. I don't know quite what else to do, really. He didn't remember anything. That thing must have wiped his memory. I wonder what else it's done. 
I shudder, not liking to think what my fate may have been. That cuboid had been intended for me. I switch on the windscreen wipers as the rain starts to lash down, my expression grim. Clearly, the Matrix Lord is threatened by me. The wolves and the cube collector and now this. To be honest, I don't really like to think about what he'll try next. I don't like it, Kaya, Leodolf says later when I relate the events of my day. We think it was the Matrix Lord that sent the wolves, and then you're followed by a cube collector, and now this box thing. Whatever it was, it was meant for you. Call it a wolf's instinct, but this is just the start of it. I look at him questioningly as Fraser walks across the room and sits down by him, cocking his head on one side. Leodolf strokes the wolf dog on his head and Fraser lays down by his feet. It's just a figure of speech, Leodolf says with a shrug. The thing is, you're on your own here. I think you should come and live with me. I freeze my cup of coffee halfway to my mouth. You're kidding! We only met yesterday. Leodov grins. Depends how you look at it. If you look at it another way, we've known each other for a couple of centuries. It's all a matter of perspective. Regardless of that, you'll be safer if you're with Fraser and me. We can keep an eye on you. I feel a warm glow inside. I'm very acutely aware of this feeling that the bad guys are moving in and the thought of being with Leodolf and not on my own is kind of a relief. That's not the reason I'm going to agree though, I say to Leodolf as I explain my feelings. I'm moving in because it feels right to be with you regardless. Leodolf's face lights up. Well, he says with a mischievous look on his face. I was going to say I'd got a spare bedroom you could use, but I'm not sure what Wilmer will think when I tell her, I butt in. I won't be needing this place anymore. Given the delicious pudding that she sent you with today, I reckon she'll be delighted, Leodolf chuckles. So, shall I bring my stuff round tomorrow then? Kaya asks. I ask. (laughs) No, Leodolf replied. Right now. I don't want you on your own, even tonight. The lights of the recycling centre was still on well past closing time and into the night. And the next day, when the worker came to unlock the premises, he was surprised to find that the door was open, banging in the wind. Hello, he called. Anybody there? There was a noise from the back room as though an animal had been startled. Jack, is that you? The man walked through towards the back room and pushed open the internal door. What the... The mass of rotten flesh bore some resemblance to a human, but its features were unrecognisable. It approached the man before him, who had frozen to the spot, and slowly and deliberately it engulfed him. The skinwalker stretched and moved its limbs that now bore, as though adjusting itself to fit a new shape. Then turning towards the desk, it sat down and began to shuffle the paperwork in the inbox, as though nothing had happened. Leodolf and I have been up most of the night 
been relating my adventures, filling in the areas that he wasn't aware of, the past life article, the portals, and how my pathway has ultimately led to me meeting him. Not surprising, really. He takes it all in his stride. There's something I think you should see, he says, walking through to the hallway and opening a cupboard. And he takes out the sword that apparently an Atlantean had given him and passes it to me. I was given that when I was out rowing, he said. The Atlanteans have been keeping their eye on me, it seems. I recognised the sword immediately. It's Owen's sword. I'm absolutely sure of it. But how come the Atlantean had it and why did it tell you that you'd be needing it? I don't understand how they ended up with it any more than you. But why they gave it to me is as easy enough to understand, Leodolf replies. Because if anyone dares to come near you, I'm going to rip their head off. I'm not sure whether to laugh or not. Dawn had now arrived and there's a cold, swirling mist and we decide to take the dogs for a long walk. Somehow, being out in the elements makes everything feel less oppressive. It's funny really, it's kind of a relief to be able to talk to someone about everything that I've been experiencing. It kind of makes everything clearer in my mind. By the time we're back from our walk, a window of sunshine has opened up, revealing gleaming trees covered in cobwebs. They're really beautiful to look at, but I can't help feeling sorry for the spiders. It must be really annoying for them, all that effort seemingly gone to waste. You make an invisible web and a few drops of rain, and there it is. Everybody can see it. Still, Perhaps their intention is to decorate the gorse bushes in sparkling lace. You are funny, Leodov says. It is a bit like life, though. You can focus on the positive outlook on things and feel inspired, like the spiders wanting to decorate their world. Or you can have a negative outlook and be expiring, feeling everything's a waste of time and then have the attitude of why bother trying. Do you think that's what the Matrix Lord and the Skinwalkers are playing on? I mean, the fact that mankind can be manipulated to look at life with a glass-half-empty attitude, always wanting more. It could be, replied Leodolf, preying on a negative energy map, maybe, always needing the next phone, the next bit of new tech. It is consuming, just like a fungus growing over everything. Hmm. All yang stuff. Externalisation and acquiring. Perhaps that's why I've been chosen to tip the balance and take energy to the next frequency. You know, being a female, an embodiment of yin energy. What do you think? I'm not sure, but I think I know something that may help, he said eventually. I feel puzzled, but I don't push him any further, and it's only later that evening that the conversation comes up again. It's grown dark, as though someone has slowly turned out the light, and outside in the forest a lone owl is calling for its mate. There's an air of serenity, but what is this covering over, I wonder? Leodolf is crouched by the fire, seemingly engrossed in prodding it with a poker in an attempt to get it burning more intensely. 
The flames have been begrudgingly staying alight, but suddenly they catch into a burst of life and a warm glow springs into the room. Gotcha, says Leodolf, with a childish look of satisfaction on his face. But not before you've half killed yourself inhaling all that smoke, I laugh. He grins and then suddenly looks serious. About what we were speaking of earlier, do you believe that nature finds a way? I look at him and shrug. I don't know, life is totally awesome when you think about it. Expanding, growing, everything so diverse and unique. So, I guess it's true. Do you feel expansive and diverse and unique? (laughs) Perhaps not. It's not altogether easy on the back of what we've been told through our lives, is it? Shame, really, that human beings have the habit of getting in the way of themselves, focusing on what is not rather than what is. If you are unique, then everyone has a gift and a purpose for being, Leodolf says, pondering his thoughts and saying them out loud. Surely then, you believe that ultimately your unique gift seeks to express itself through you. Like the quest to gather the three crystals and help the lay dragons. I mean, arguably that's your unique gift and purpose, isn't it? He stands with his back to the fire and looks at me intently. I hold his gaze for a moment, reflecting on what he's saying. Well, my journey to this point seems to have been one of remembering and reconnecting with facets of myself, albeit in different dimensions and time frames. (laughs) It's been amazing, really, to remember those facets and merge with them. I feel whole and reborn, but I still feel there's one piece missing. I can accept that I was Meg... And I can even accept I'm an Atlantean. But how the hell am I supposed to re-embody that? And how am I supposed to get to Atlantia to get the crystal? I mean, there's so many unanswered questions. There's still so many things I don't understand. Imagination is the preview of life's coming attraction, says Leodolf. What? I look at him intently. It's a quote. Something Albert Einstein once said. Leodolf takes a deep breath. I think I may have a missing piece of your story, Kaya, he says. You do? He picks up my journal and reads an old old entry that I'd been revisiting. It was about a day when I'd gone wild swimming and I'd written about reflecting on perceptions and how individuals have slightly different ones. You can even argue that everyone's perception of reality is totally different. What seems like a gesture of inclusion to one person can appear like second best or even exclusion to another. In fact, perceptions are so different. Who's actually right and who's actually justified in their actions? In truth, both parties are right, aren't they, according to their perception, in their own reality. And then their subsequent emotions will play out accordingly. In cases where the situation involves a disagreement or is perceived as inflammatory, it's not perhaps an easy dynamic to reconcile. But how many relationships bash against each other in that way? And how easy can it be for interactions to become an emotional reaction 
and for dynamics to become tense and blame-projecting and explosive. Communication is the key to reconciliation. Leodolf looks up from my journal. Quite an insight, Kaya, standing in your own truth and expressing that truth in a mindful way. I look at him intently. What are you getting at, Leodolf? I need to tell you my truth, Kaya, he says, and he puts the journal back down on the table. You know that you are Mag, and like you said, you can accept that, and you can accept that you are an Atlantean, but I guess the biggest missing piece is knowing when and where you left Atlantia and chose to become a human. If you knew that, then I'm sure it would give you a starting point to work from, wouldn't it? Well, yes, I guess so, I reply. Leodolf takes a deep breath. Well, it's relating to a different life, maybe, but I still feel the weight of not telling you, he says. It was Owen's secret, after all, not mine, yet I still feel responsible, even now, especially now, given this, and he indicates the crystal on the table. The thing is, Kaya, Meg was an Atlantean. It was Meg who chose to leave Atlantia to be with Owen, to be with me. He walks across the room to the wooden shelves that now home Meg's diary and opens the book, finding the passage where Meg has written down the story of the Kelpie that Morag had told Meribeth. Morag was talking about you, Kaya, Lidov said. You, Ariana, the Kelpie in her story. She knew, and Owen knew, you came from the sea. You were of sea folk and not the race of men. You began your existence as a human when you became Meg. I don't reply for a moment. I just look into his eyes and my mind flashing back. I remember swimming in the snow and not feeling the cold. I remember Owen tying a a shell necklace around my neck, the one now which actually Leodolf has taken to wearing. And I remember meeting Owen on the beach that day and I'd suddenly felt the chill of the wind and the snowflakes on my skin. And Owen had wrapped her in his coat to keep me warm. And I asked him not to remind me of my discarded sea form, in case I went mad with grief and remorse. (gasps) Pendragon! I feel sick and dizzy as the memories and visions flood back into my mind. It's as though a dam has burst into my head. Kaya! Are you okay? exclaims Leodolf as I fall to the floor. I'm so sorry I didn't tell you way back then. Please tell me that you forgive me. There's nothing to forgive, you kept your promise, I say as I stare past him into space. But I wonder, what happened to Meg?
Thank you for listening. And so that you don't miss an episode of Kaya's journey from Dimensions, The Awakening, then please follow the podcast K. Arwin Dimensions, the book series. And for more information on the author, check out kayamia.co.uk. Until next time, I leave you with some Atlantean light language. Oh, yeah.